As of right now, Oregon football is listed as the second most likely team to win the Pac-12 championship behind USC, according to the betting odds. Is that where they should be? Let's discuss. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every weekday. I appreciate you all liking, commenting, subscribing, wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts. Love all of that. So Oregon, according to our uh, network sponsors here at Locked On, Bet Online, is the second most likely team to win the Pac-12 championship in 2022. Now, you have to consider when you look at, at betting odds, is it is a reference point, but particularly when you get into the most likely teams to win it all, there's going to be a consideration of how are you know setting the lines in a certain way going to make the most money? Like, how are you going to get people to bet? Are they going to put this and that? But still, there, there's something to be said about where those lines get to. So right now, according to Bet Online, Oregon is second in the 2022 football Pac-12 championship odds after winning the North a season ago and losing to Utah, of course. They come in at 11 to 5 last time that I looked. Uh, when you're putting these odds down, you don't put half numbers to one. I, I don't make the rules. So this is about, uh, you know, two point something to one. Anyway, so uh, USC is above them by just a little bit at two to one. And then Utah is behind Oregon. They've got them listed at five to one. And I saw this and thought to myself, boy, is that the right place for Oregon to be? They should certainly be in the top three. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I don't know how they're ahead of Utah. <laughs> I think that was the biggest surprise that I have. Now, the Utes lost a, a good amount of production from last year's team. Britton Covey and Nephi Sewell, Devin Lloyd. Uh, there are some other players whose, whose names are not uh, coming into my head right now. But like they, they lost a good deal of production from last year's uh, Pac-12 championship squad. But so did Oregon. And so when you look at what's coming back versus what has changed for both of these teams, I think when you factor all that in, Utah should still be ahead of Oregon. I mean, you've got Cam Rising and Tavion Thomas back. That's as dynamic of a backfield as exists in this conference. I think it's those two. And then, you know, Caleb Williams with Travis Dye slash Austin Jones at USC will be really good. And DTR with Zach Charbonnet will be really good. But then, I mean, that that's just a really elite tandem to bring back. Those are first-team all-back 12 performers from a season ago. You know they're going to be good defensively because the Utes are year in and year out. And offensive line, again, is expected to be solid. Might not be quite as good as last year, I, I don't think. But, hey, it's locked on Ducks, not locked on Utes. But I, I, I just think when you look at Utah and what they did to Oregon last year, I mean, you have to consider, if you're going to put Utah as less likely to win the Pac-12 compared to Oregon, then what you're saying is that Oregon has improved dramatically from last year compared to you know where, where their team was at a season ago. I, I don't know if you can make that claim right now about the Ducks. You either have to feel that way or that Utah has taken a major, major step back. 
And will they be quite as good as last year? No, I don't think so. But I'd still have Utah as the favorites to win the Pac-12. They've got a lot of good players. Their program is trending in the right direction. They've got Cam Rising, who was a first-team All-Pac-12 quarterback last year. And Kyle Whittingham is just as solid of a coach as there is. I think USC being first at 2-1 to one is just a byproduct of it's USC. And a lot of fans want to bet them. And I think the, the odds makers know if they put these lines out there. And USC's brought in a lot of talent, right? They'll be a significantly better team than they were a season ago. And I think competitive in, in the Pac-12 South. But I don't know of having them at two to one. I mean, that's ridiculous for for a conference that you know doesn't have a ton of contenders, I, I suppose, but still has a couple teams that you would expect to be there—the ones that were in the championship game a season ago in Oregon and Utah. I don't know. I have USC at two to one. I, I think that's overinflated for for the factors that I, I've been talking about here. But Oregon being ahead of Utah, I just I, I I don't see that. I really don't because yes, Utah lost a lot, but Oregon has lost a lot, right? I mean, we have giant question marks in the secondary. There, there's plenty of talent in theory back there, but you don't know how they're going to play together on game days. I think the only player I'm really sold on right now for the Ducks on the back end of the defense is Christian Gonzalez. I, I hope Dante Manning can finally take a leap and look like the five-star cornerback recruit he was when he, he when he first arrived to campus in Eugene. But he hasn't been that so far. So I don't even know if he's solidified himself as the number two corner. Now he's going to have a minor injury that might nag him from time to time. So I, I'm not really certain about that. And then on the defensive line, the interior is set. We've got about 17 guys who I feel great about playing on the defensive line, most notably Brandon Dorless and Popo Almavai. But defensive end, I hope DJ Johnson plays the way that he did in the spring game. And I hope Braden Swinson takes another step forward. But, I mean, you know, maybe Trevin Maai is somebody who who is a, a high-impact player this year for the Ducks. We don't really know. And I think you're going to lose that production from having Thibodeau's void that, that he left behind when he went to the NFL. So there, there's just so many question marks there. And then you have a new coaching staff. So I, I think one thing that, that, that these odds say are that right now, Vegas has a positive perception of Dan Lanning, which should make us feel good to a certain extent, but it's also just such an unknown, whereas I know that Utah is going to be a good team. I know that Kyle Weddingham is going to win games, and so I think having Oregon there is a, a little a little bit it's a, it's a little bit much, uh, but I just wouldn't have USC that high, right? The South is going to be much, much tougher than the Pac-12 North this year. I think that's why Oregon should be there, but I, I would swap USC and Utah if I, if I were saying who's most likely to win the conference this year, I think I'd go Utah and then Oregon and then USC. And, and I do think the Trojans will be competitive. I, I just don't think that their defense is going to be quite ready to win a championship. And I don't think that their offensive line is going to be at a level where they can where they can win the conference in Lincoln Riley's first year. Eventually, yeah, sure, of course. But I, I think that will be the thing that holds them back is they can't get quite enough stops or they can't you know, run the ball the way that Lincoln Riley ha has done during his tenure at Oklahoma or did do, I guess I should say, since he's no longer their head coach. But I, I think that that's kind of the way that, that it'll shape out. And, you know, you can go over to a locked on pack 12, which I host as well here at the locked on network. And I, I do a full breakdown of the favorites and their schedules and the dark horses as well, just like locked on ducks, YouTube free and available on all podcasting platforms. Uh, there is a reason that Oregon is is this high and why 
I would imagine the odds markets have them higher than, than Utah at this point in time. Remember, still uh, a lot can change. I, I think I know what that reason is. I'll tell you what it is after I tell you that I just received my birthday cake puffs from Built Bar, and I've literally never had anything like them before. You bite in, and it's a marshmallow, right? But it's coated in this beautiful, crumbly, sweet birthday cake-flavored coating, and then you just get the soft chewiness of a marshmallow. But it's 16 grams of protein and only 150 calories. It's absolutely amazing. The cake batter, funfetti flavor, whatever you want to call it, it is amazing. They're calling them birthday cake puffs, which is what they are, but they taste like everything I just alluded to. You can get yours now if you go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. So that one reason why Oregon is probably the second most likely team to win the Pac-12, according to the odds, is that they're in the north. The south is going to be way tougher this year. You've got Utah. You've got USC, who will definitely be better. I think they're probably a 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two team. Uh, but I, I would expect USC to probably go 9-3. and three, uh, And that's not... That that includes their non-conference schedule. That just kind of is is how they feel right now. But we'll, we'll see what happens this season, of course. And then you have Oregon in the north, but it, but in the south, which is what I was talking about a moment ago. And as you can see, I clearly forgot my train of thought there for a half second. Uh, you've got USC, you've got Utah, you've got UCLA off of an eight-win season, and they've got a fifth-year starting quarterback. That just doesn't happen in college football. I think that's a pretty big advantage. But then you've also got Arizona State, and. Arizona State is trending in the wrong direction right now, but they also won eight games last year, and they brought in Emory Jones from Florida, who's probably going to be their starting quarterback. So I, I wouldn't sleep on them as well. But Oregon being in the North, I think, is a big advantage when you look at their 2022 Pac-12 championship hopes because the the next team up in terms of the the lines according to Bet Online, uh, in terms of winning the Pac-12 championship, is Washington at 11 to one which is uh, the sixth best, sixth best odds in the conference. So uh, of the top five teams that bet online sees as most likely to win the Pac-12 championship, five of them are in the South. So Oregon is definitely in the weaker division here. I, I don't think that that's really close. You know, And I think Washington 11-1 to 1 is hilariously too high. I have no idea how that's the case because you've got Wazoo at 33-1, to 1, Oregon State at 40-1. to 1. And when you're setting odds like these, you, you're considering how likely it is they're going to win their division. I think Oregon State might be the Ducks' biggest challenge this year in the North. It'll be either them or Wazoo, and I don't think it's Washington at all. I, I really, really don't. Um, I just I don't even know how they're that far ahead. They're seen as three times as likely to win the Pac-12 as Washington State. Like, no, no way. No way. Um, I, I am way less worried about playing Washington at Autzen this year than I am playing Wazoo in Pullman. But even if it were the other way around, if we were playing at Washington and got Wazoo at home, as we had a season ago, I'd still be more worried about Washington State. And I think, you know, that that played itself out on the field last year when Oregon had a little. I mean, it ended up beating both teams semi comfortably by the end. But I'm way more scared of Washington State than, than Washington right now, um, because because the Cougars, if you didn't know, brought in a transfer quarterback by the name of Cam Ward from Incarnate Ward. They're spelled differently, by the way. His last name's W-A-R-D. The school is W-O-R-D. Uh, just fun little note there. But according to 24-7 Sports, he rated as the third best quarterback transfer in the class of 2022, despite coming from an FCS school. And we know as well as anybody, 
FCS quarterbacks can have a lot of success. We saw Vernon Adams do it, but sometimes they look a little bit more like Dakota Prukop, who wasn't bad, but he also wasn't that good either. But Vernon Adams was elite. A hill I will forever, forever die on. If Vernon Adams doesn't hurt his finger against Eastern Washington, that Oregon team goes back to the college football playoff and could radically change the trajectory of the Oregon football program writ large. Because do you fire Helfrich after one bad season if he has two college football playoff appearances, one of which would have come without the best player in school history? Don't know. Interesting thought experiment, though. But Cam Ward going to Washington State, he rated as a better quarterback transfer ahead of Spencer Rattler, the former five-star Oklahoma quarterback who went to South Carolina, and Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback. So that's how high they are on him. And that's why I think the Cougars are one of the bigger threats this year in the Pac-12 North for for the Ducks. And, you know, between the other teams in the North, Stanford and Cal, you could have one that might give Oregon trouble. I, I wouldn't imagine it'll be two. Um, you know, Stanford did beat us last year and Cal gave us a lot of trouble in what was a really thrilling, shouldn't have been, but it was thrilling game at, at Austin Stadium and the defense got the big stop. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest question marks for the Ducks in, in the Pac-12 North is, is Stanford going to bounce back from a three and nine season or are they going to stay down as a program? Because if they do, then that elevates Oregon's chances significantly. But regardless, they should be the favorites in the Pac-12 North. And I don't know that it's you know close in terms of which team you're going to jump to. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee because I don't think it's a lock with, you know, we have to play Oregon State on the road and Washington State on the road as well. Those are those are pretty tough games. And I think both of those teams have the potential to be really, really solid this year. So um, I, I expect them to win the North, right? I think that's a reasonable expectation for Dan Lanning, even in his first season, just because of the talent gap that that Oregon has. When you look at the recruiting classes that are on the roster from the last couple of seasons, even with the guys who have left the program, you know, uh, DJ James is gone from a season ago, Mikhail Wright to the NFL, all the guys that left or, you know, were out of eligibility. There's a good amount to replace, but I still think the talent is is there to be able to win the North and be expected to do so. So I think that's a very reasonable expectation for Duck fans is that, you know, Dan Landing, his first year as a head coach with a brand new staff and everybody should be able to win nine, 10 games, but should certainly, certainly be able to win the Pac-12 North because it is much, much weaker than the Pac-12 South. Uh, let's get into our mailbag question for our final segment of today's show. Uh, and a reminder to all of you that you, like this lucky listener today, can get a question answered here on the show by one of three avenues. You can tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod, or you can slide right up into my direct messages and get a question answered here on the show at Smalls underscore 55. You watch on YouTube. That's the handle down there. Yes, I'm very proud of my weatherman skills every time that I do that little uh, gesture towards my Twitter handle or at Locked on Ducks, which is the show which you should be following along anyway to keep up to date with all the latest Oregon news. You DM either of those accounts, get a question answered here on the show. It's pretty easy. DMs are wide open. As long as you're polite, I will talk to you. So uh, this question comes from at Alex 56 Stewart. Nice to meet you, Alex. What style of defense does Dan Lanning run? Would he amend his schemes to fit around the roster or amend the roster to fit around his schemes? This is a great question. Uh, and I am going to give it the full run through here. So 
While at Georgia, Dan Lanning ran a 4-2-5, meaning you got four down linemen, two linebackers, and five DBs. That's their base personnel. And you always, you know, rotate guys in and out depending on uh, the package that you're running with. If you're going to go nickel or if you're going to go dime, one linebacker and, and six DBs on the field, then is that my... Uh, yeah, that's my, yeah, my mask correct there. Um, you know, it, then it just kind of depends. Like Jamal Hill is a player Oregon has seen plenty of over the years. He's typically been our, our nickel, nickel back, right? So he comes in when we want an extra DB on the field, typically in a four, two, five, uh, a scheme that I'm a, a big, big fan of. And not just because I've played an outrageous amount of NCAA 14 in there. And it allows for a lot of versatility. Typically in that four, two, five scheme, you have a player who's kind of like a linebacker, but is primarily a defensive back. And I, I think that Jeffrey Bossa will be that for Oregon. Now, I don't know if that's how they're going to play him, right? They have him listed as an outside linebacker. And I've been saying for a long time, we'll continue to do so here on the show. I think especially if you're going to run a 4-2-5, Bossa as that hybrid safety linebacker position is perfect. You bring him down to the box a lot. He can play one-on-one with you know a running back or a tight end, which is where you want to match him up typically. But he's going to come downhill, make plays in space, hit guys in the box. I think that that would be a really, really good fit if if Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoi do decide to use that, which I would expect that they do, right? Because Dan Lanning, even though he you know has a defensive coordinator, he's still a defensive head coach, and that's where he's going to spend a majority of his time and he's going to implement his schemes. And uh, I hope he continues to call plays as he did at Georgia. What we'll see some coaches do and some coaches like Jonathan Smith with the beeves do not, even when they come from one particular side of the ball, but that that's what we should expect to see. And Oregon ha- has had success with that scheme in the past, right? I think Oregon's last great defense. I was talking uh, to a friend about this the other day, actually that Rose bowl team with Justin Herbert, you know, had Herbert on offense and, you know, did some good things, but also had Arroyo as the offensive coordinator with Crystal Ball as the head coach. So and maybe some scheme limitations there. Uh, that was a defensively led team. I think everyone thinks about it as like, oh, it was Oregon with uh, with Herbert and Panay Sewell and they had the, you know, great offense and everything, put up a bunch of points. Yeah, but in the big games, it was Oregon's defense that was doing stuff. And that's because I, I liked Andy Avalos a lot and he was running, the, the four two five and you have to have the personnel to match that. And so that's where the second part of this question from at Alex 56 Stewart comes in, who I'm just going to assume his name is Alex Stewart. Uh, do you fit your schemes around the roster or amend the roster to fit around the schemes? That's a question I'm going to answer after I remind you that our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, News and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, go Mariners, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So if you're running a 425, you know, one thing that you have to have, and I think Oregon does have, which is why I expect them to to continue running that base defense personnel is if you're going to take a linebacker out of the box and put someone who's a little bit smaller on the field at all times, your two linebackers have to be really, really good against the run. There are a few linebackers, if any, in the country that are as good at stopping the run as Noah Sewell. And if Justin Flo is healthy, I think those two allow for that. Now in pass, in pass coverage, 
they might leave a little bit to be desired, but that's a part of why, you know, the advantage of this particular scheme is you have a fifth defensive back on the field to handle those passing situations and packages from the offense should that arise. And so uh, I think that it fits really well. But back to that question, do you fit the scheme around the roster or the roster around the scheme? I've kind of talked about this a little bit in terms of, you know, why there have been so many transfers this year. It's because I tend to lean and just these are just in my observations and whatnot. I'm obviously not a head coach or anything of the sorts, but I think you shape your roster around the scheme. And we've seen so many transfers because each of these position coaches and the coordinators know what they want. They know what they need from their players to best excel in their system. And it's not that you won't do any of the other side of that coin where, you know, you'll adapt your scheme a, a little bit based on who your personnel is. But generally, when coaches go into recruiting and they start looking at players and figuring out, you know, who to offer and who they want to bring on campus, they have an exact idea of how that guy is going to play, particularly if he's a big time recruit, right? How he fits into the scheme, how they're going to use him and what sort of role he he will play on on either side of the ball. So I, I think within a game, you know, you you make small adjustments, but in the grand picture, you're recruiting guys to your team that that fit your scheme. You're looking for, you know, the certain kind of build or a guy who has uh, a certain sort of instinct or a, a twitch or a size or a, a weight, like w- whatever it is. Coaches have an idea in mind. Like if you're running the four two five, you're going to look for linebackers who tend to be exceptionally strong against the run, right? Rather than guys who, you know, to go back to NCAA fourteen, which is just an amazing game. Shout out college football revamped. Any of you who play that game out there, the best thing I've ever played. You're going to look for guys who are going. You're not going to look for guys in a four two five at the linebacking position who are going to lean towards being coverage because if you only have six players on the field who are going to, you know, push to 30, 40 and 50 pounds or so, then they have to be really, really good up front or you can get gashed in the running game. And, you know, to here's another way to think about it. And this is going to the offensive side of the ball, but it's the same thing on offense and defense for for coaches and coordinators. Think about Chip back in the day. He recruited guys like LaMichael and Kenyon, and they were both three stars, right? And they became probably the best running back tandem in Oregon football history. If they go to other schools that don't run the particular outside, outside zone, shotgun spread offense, stretch running scheme that Chip was implementing back then and was kind of bringing to the forefront of college football at the time, then there's a good chance that Michael and Kenyon are not as well known in the grand national lore of college football, right? Because he fit or because they both fit exactly what Chip wanted to do. And so it, that wasn't Chip getting those guys on to camp because we know Chip doesn't love recruiting, right? And he didn't back in the day. He was looking for guys who specifically fit his scheme, right? Marcus was the same thing, right? They offered him way before other schools did, and he was only a three-star recruit coming out of high school, but he fit exactly what they were wanting to do. That's the way coaches are going to, generally speaking, approach recruiting. You know, I mean, Mariota's other offers at the time were Memphis, Arizona, Hawaii, and Notre Dame. So there's only, you know, really one major Power 5 caliber school in there, and that's Notre Dame. But, you know, he was sought after highly by Oregon because Chip and Helfrich saw him and said, yeah, that, that's the guy. 
Okay, that guy's going to fit what we want to do here. So that that's why I, I tend to lean towards you adjust the roster both via the portal now and, and with recruiting to the scheme that you're going to run because you can't really change who you are as a coach, right? You can't like think about um, think, think about Tony Bennett at, at Virginia, the basketball coach who won a national championship. I remember back then. I, I went on a, a sports radio talk show and I was asked, you know, Tony Bennett's been uh, very open about, uh, you know, how defensively minded he is. And that's where Virginia's always been good. And that's kind of where they make their money. But against UMBC, when they were the first team to ever lose to a 16 seed, they didn't score enough points. Right? I mean, the offense just went completely silent. And someone asked me, you know, does Tony Bennett need to change his approach? And I said, no, because as a coach, you have your own identity about what you are, about what you know, about how you can best coach players. And just because it didn't work on one particular day doesn't mean you rework the approach entirely, right? Coaches can't fundamentally change very often, you know, who they are. I, I think the best example of that happening is Nick Saban. But remember, Saban is a defensive coach, right? That's the side of the ball that he comes from. And so their offense has evolved to, to keep up with, with modern schemes and play styles and concepts and such to become an explosive offensively minded team. Whereas back in the day, Alabama and LSU would play a, a nine to six ball game, right? But you don't have that anymore. So he's adapted from a recruiting standpoint to bring in high level offensive players, but from a schematic standpoint, he's not the guy calling the offense, right? His offensive coordinators have done that. And I'm sure he's had a heavy hand in doing so, but he's, he's not the guy who's, who's doing it. And so defensively, Nick Saban, I don't imagine has changed a lot of the things that he does defensively in terms in terms of the sorts of players that he's looking for, how he calls a game, and and what sort of defensive philosophy he runs. You make small tweaks here and there, but fundamentally you stay the, the same as a coach. So I, I think Oregon's got the personnel right now to fit a four-two-five, and that's the way that we'll continue to see them recruit. I think you'll see Dan Lanning and, and Tosh Lupoy and Matt Pallage look for players like Noah Sewell, like Justin Flo, like Jeffrey Bassa, who are going to, you know, have a specific role within that scheme. Uh, it, you know, when Oregon was having a lot of success in that 2019 defense with Andy Avalos as, as the DC, yeah, you had Kayvon Thibodeau as a freshman on the defensive line. That helped. You had Troy Dye as a linebacker who, you know, was not the biggest guy like his brother, but they were just really, really effective. But in that 4-2-5, the guy who played in the box a lot was Javon Holland, right, who is a stud now. For, for the Miami Dolphins. And I, I would like to see Bossa become that sort of player. You know, I, I think you'll see Jamal Hill get used a lot in, in that sort of role. Bennett Williams as well, another guy who can kind of be a nickel or a dime, but also maybe play a little bit of safety. So I think you'll see a lot more versatility with the defensive backs. Um, but, but to answer your original question there, Alex, which has got two parts to it, so four two five. Uh, I think that's what we should expect them to run. That's what Dan Lanning did when when he was at Georgia, and you know that went pretty well last time I checked. And um, I, I think that you you shape the roster around the scheme because you are what you are as a coach, and, and you know you know you you know what you know best, right? And that's what you're going to cater to, or your strengths as a coach. And there are plenty of players to be able to fit that sort of roster. But I appreciate the question. Keep them coming in. Hashtag ask LOD pod. You can tweet with that or just DM me at smalls underscore 55 
or at Locked On Ducks. I appreciate you making this your first listening. Check me out on Locked On Pac-12, covering the Conference of Champions for your second listen of the day. I appreciate everyone listening or watching. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.